Ronananian. I'm a little bit of a cross between Rush Limbaugh and Reverend Al Bundy because I've been there, I've seen it, and I'm going to rant about it a little bit. Don't look back the next time I ask you to open the garage door for me either because if you do, you might see the mighty Dodge emblem bearing down on you. The car doctor. You get your mechanic to get a look at these things. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front, if your mechanic says, ah, don't worry about it, and those parts are bad, you got to find the new mechanic. Welcome to the radio home of Ronananian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome. I'm back. Well, actually, you didn't know I was going away. I'm on an inning in the car, doctor. I really didn't leave here, but I left here. I've been away on vacation the past week, took the family for some downtime down to the Outer Banks, North Carolina, and it was quite a road trip, as you can imagine, as I uh, cruised down 13 and 113 and 95 and uh, went through all the parts of the country out that way and took note of quite a few things. We're going to talk about this that this hour. Because I think that's um, things of, things worthy of note. Because it sure is a different world outside of the Bergen bubble where we uh, live and have the shop. The phone number for the Car Doctor, as always, is eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. The Car Doctor is here to answer each and every one of your questions, whatever you've got going on. The website's cardoctorshow.com. And let me remind you once again that coming up in two weeks, I believe it is two weeks, we're going to be at the Sheridan Crossroads in Mawa, New Jersey. Uh, Labor Day weekend, that Saturday show from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, uh, going out across the network. We are going to be live at the Dead Man's Curve party, deadmanscurveusa.com. And we're going to be over there doing the radio show, interviewing people, and just watching the events and watching the goings-on. It's a 1,000-plus car hot rod show. Uh, four funny cars they are going to fire up at once and all sorts of great things, vendors and uh, bands and just, just, just a great time. It's a three-day event, Labor Day weekend. We will be there that Saturday, and I will be bringing the hot rod and uh, putting that out there for display as well. So we look forward to seeing each and every one of you if you're in the area. Out on the road. The road trip, uh, the American road trip, is just a great time. I think I enjoy the road trip. Well, I probably do. I probably enjoy the road trip more than the actual vacation because it's it's different when you get out on the road and you start to look in the repair shops as you drive by. And the more rural we got, the areas of the country we drove through, some were a little more remote than others, obviously. It was interesting. There were three bay repair shops that had one lift, a tire machine, a bubble balancer, and absolutely no computers in the car in the shop at all. It was really crazy. It was We were in places that were like a step back 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And you look around, and they were working on cars. The newest cars in there were from the early 90s. And that's what was in the area. It wasn't a great economic area or a great economic part of the trip. And when we got to the Outer Banks, and after about a day of sitting on the beach and getting bored, I said, well, you know what? Let me go out for lunch. And I grabbed one of the kids, and we went out to lunch, and... um, it was quite an experience. Oh, look, I just want to stop in here. Dad just wants to stop in here and get gas. And I stopped in at a three-bay shop down around Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And it was really a step back in time. The newest cars in the place were from 2000. A 2000, 2001 something would have been you know, a, a fairly new car to them. Not a lot of equipment, real basic stuff. 
And in talking with the owner, what kind of got my attention was he was struggling working on what else? A Volkswagen. And I th- actually, if I take that back. That was a fairly late model Volkswagen because it had an electronic parking brake on it. And they, they weren't used to that. They hadn't seen one of these before. And I just so happened to be, I was road testing uh, a, a CRP229 from the folks over at launch, their scan tool. So I said, gee, I wonder, and I, you know, I had my RA shirt on. And, uh, listen, I like, to me, that's, that's stress relief. I go out to see how other repair shops run and, in, in talking with Phil, the owner, I, I went over and I got out my scan tool and we plugged it in. And um, I was actually able to help him diagnose the parking brake release ratchet and help him do the brake job on the car before because he was using he was using an older snap-on scan tool that didn't have the software and didn't have the updates for it. And um, the interesting thing to me was I, I was showing him something like science fiction. He couldn't believe what he was looking at. He said, wow, look at this. You know, uh, the CRP-229 from launch is probably a little bit bigger than an iPad. And the technology that's in it, when I showed him how it updates wirelessly over the net and how quick it was and some of the special functions it has, and I told him, you know, for a tool that's in the five to $600 range, you know, you can't go wrong. And he was just shocked by it. And in talking with him and his two other technicians, you know, where do you see the future and they're still waiting for the in the numbers for the 2005s and 6s and 7s for those model year cars to start coming in. And they said people tend to hang on to cars longer down here. Their labor rate was $78 an hour. And they said, we're high. That's a lot of money for North Carolina. And, you know, as I'm talking to them, I'm saying to myself, $78 an hour. And, yeah, I know property taxes are less, and I'm assuming the building is less, and I don't want to get too much into his cost of doing business, but I'm thinking, you know, when you've got to buy that factory-level scan tool, when you've got to buy that dealer-level tool, all of a sudden that that five, six grand you have to lay out is an awful lot harder to make than when you're in an environment where the market will bear 100 to $125 an hour. And it brought to mind what I've been saying for years. How does the repair shop outside of the large economic bubble survive? How will they survive? And in conversation with, with, with Phil and his guys, they didn't really have that answer. They know it's coming. They know it's something they're going to have to deal with. But based on their rate of growth and the way he's seeing it, Phil doesn't think he's going to have to deal with it for another five to seven years, which, you know, everything happens a lot slower at the Outer Banks, North Carolina. You know, he said, you caught me in the busy season. He goes, here we are. We're just before Labor Day. He goes, come back in a month and a half. He said, we'll be fishing half the day, and, um, you, you know, there isn't a lot else to do because we're in a resort area and everybody is gone. And it just changes the way you work on things. He did say something interesting to me. He said it's a lot tougher in the last 20 years. He's been doing this a long time. He said it's a lot tougher in the last 20 years to work for seasonal or to work on seasonal cars is how he said it. And by that he meant that the car that he sees, you know, June, July, August, and then he doesn't see it for a year, and then it comes back, or the car that he's never seen, and he only sees it once in the middle of the summer, his repairs take longer. His his ability to maintain it and diagnose it and bring it up to speed take longer. And I said, yeah, you know, that's that's not uncommon. That's something that is true to the rest of the country, too, in that I see an awful lot of, if we don't see the car on a regular basis for maintenance, then it becomes a problem for everybody concerned. But it was very interesting. Uh, something else that I noticed, 
And I didn't get a chance to really stop in and talk to them. But the body shops in North Carolina, the body shops in North Carolina, you know, I look at the auto repair shops. Most of the auto repair shops were like New Jersey, three, four, five bays. There was a couple of chain stores, no-name chain stores, non-brand names. They weren't Firestones or Goodyear's, but just names that were, you know, predominant down in the Carolinas, down in that part of the country. Um, They had, you know, 12-bay repair shops. But it was mostly tires. It was tires and alignments, truck work, uh, a lot of exhaust work. I was surprised at the number of signs that I saw that we specialize in exhaust, that they're still doing exhaust systems down south. And, you know, without the heavy snow that we see in the north with salt and rust and corrosion and things like that, they're still doing a lot of exhaust. because, And that shows you the age, the population, you know, that they're working on, those types of cars. But what really was interesting, and this kind of got me, and I'll be real quick here because I know we want to get to the phones, um, is the body shops. Every body shop was at least 12 to 15 cars in size, you know, the bays. There was 12 doors across the front of every body shop. Most of them were two or three cars deep. And when I was talking to somebody about that, they explained to me, they said, you know, this is big business down here. They'll go out to the rest of the country. They'll bring in cars that are crashed or smashed or, you know, damaged. Labor is cheaper down here. It's cheaper to pay somebody down here to work on it. And then they'll put it out line to sell it. And that kind of explained it because I got to tell you, there's an awful lot of used car lots, used car dealerships in the Carolinas and Delaware and, uh, you know, driving down along that stretch of the country. It was absolutely amazing to me. It seemed that every five, six miles, another used car lot, another used car lot, another used car lot. And that's a sign of the economy. By the way, some some nice-looking older cars. There was more than a few, uh, you know, specialty shops that were dealing with older muscle cars that they were putting out front. And uh, you would think that it was 1971 all over again by the number of Chevelles that I saw on display. And just just, just a, a time capsule and telling you that auto repair is a, is a national phenomenon with regional consequences, just like I've always said from way back when. Hello and welcome. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your questions and uh, Answer them, whatever they might be. If you are looking for more information, by the way, about the 229 from Launch, you can get out to their website, launchtechusa.com, and see what I'm seeing. It um, it really was a solid little tool, and Phil was very impressed by it. And I wouldn't be surprised if I go back there next year. He'll have a launch inside the shop. A lot going on this hour. It's, it's an interview-free hour. I've got a couple of comments and thoughts. I've got some articles I want to write. I want to read that people have sent in to me that we're going to talk about. Um, some interesting places the radio show was heard this week. We got an email from somebody in the Philippines that we're going to talk about and um, let you know what's going out that way. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. I'm running any in the car, Doctor. When I return, we're going to kick the garage doors open. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron and Indian Car Doctor, 855-560-9900 is the phone number. If you've got a car, if you've got a problem, give the car doctor a call. We'll figure it out together. Let's get on over and open the garage doors. Let's go talk to Dennis in Maine with a 1982 Chevelle and some overheating issues. Dennis, you're on with the car doctor. How can I help? 
uh, it's not an overheating issue. It's the issue is, uh, well, let me just tell the story. Sure, uh, go ahead. Driving around the other day, uh, reached over, turned the air conditioner on, and everything, lost all my power, all my electrical power. Um, coasted to a stop. I had a dome light, headlights, that stuff, but no crank, no uh, gauges, no nothing on the engine end. Okay. Uh, let it set for about two hours. Got in, hit the key, started right up, run fine, drove it home. Uh, next morning, got up, started it up, let it run up to temperature. Everything worked fine, cold. Uh, let it get up to temperature, turned it, the AC on again, everything run fine. Took it down the road four or five miles, come back home, turned the AC on, same thing. Lost everything except my dome light. Okay. And I don't know where to go. Well, and, and this is a what year car, Dennis? A 1982 Chevelle? Yeah, 82 Chevelle Malibu. Okay, and uh, what engine is in this? Six, it's, eight? Uh, was it? 264, yeah, the V8. The V8, okay. All right. Well, the, the first place I would go is I would really want to know what kind of shape's the charging system in. It wouldn't be the first time that an alternator overheated and reacted to temperature and stopped charging or didn't charge as well, and the vehicle started running off the battery. And when you turn on the AC, that extra load... To the, from the electrical system, drains the battery down to zilch. Has anybody done any sort of electrical or charging system test to it? Uh, no, I haven't. I, I put a new battery in it, you know, when I got it. I've, I've just had the thing for a year, and right. it's been set for a long right. time. And well, and I, I don't... put about 200 miles on it. I don't know that it would be a battery. Of course, obviously, new doesn't mean good, and I would sure as heck test it. It's a quick enough, simple test to do a load test to the battery. But I would yeah, be, I, I you know, I would, I would do a load test to the battery. I would be looking at terminal connections. Uh, I would be also concerned about ground connections where the cable attaches to the block. This is a car, this is an 82, 92, 2002. This car is 32 years old, real quick off the top of my head. Yeah, um, something like that. Yeah, so yeah, it's, I did run the ground, so right. the ones I could find. Right. I would, I would also want to take a look at cables and make sure the cables themselves are in good condition. Keep in mind, on an older car... You know, barring and let's let me just back up a second. Barring the, the simple, barring that this is an alternator or a charging system failure, you know, when you get past or when the mechanic gets past the hey Dennis, the charging system is always putting out and it's always got plenty of amperage. The current isn't a problem, etc. And you start looking for the silly stuff. Mm -hmm. Let's let's start to talk about the cables themselves. When if if for example if the vehicle had a battery that was discharging acid and the acid worked its way into the cable, right? That cable as it gets hotter will start to insulate and prevent current flow, and that vehicle will have a charging and electrical system problem such as you're describing. Because what mm -hmm. what, what you're really describing to me is you're adding an extra electrical charge or an electrical right. an electrical load causing the vehicle to shut down. How about if instead of turning on the air conditioning, you try turning on the high beams or the wipers. Turn on something um, else with a high I, electrical demand. I've done that, and, you know, everything was worked fine on, on it, you know, when it got hot. I mean, when I come home that, that time, that's what I did. I had the headlights, turned the headlights on. Right. That worked all fine. Turned them off, put the wipers on, no problem. But it's as soon as I flipped that air conditioner on, and I didn't know if there was something in that system that could be... You know, well, the, the air conditioning, when you're turning on the blower and the compressor, mm -hmm. that is a very high current draw, typically as high as 22 to 25 amps on a car of that age. Mm -hmm. So you're putting a heck of a drain on the charging system. And right. if it can't handle it for whatever reason, 
I'll tell you what I would probably do, too, is I would turn on every electrical device in the car. I'd start off with nothing and work my way up, and I would monitor voltage, and I would monitor yeah. system current to see what the alternator is capable of putting out and start to do some math and figure it out from there as far as what's causing the problem. But it sounds to me like either a charging system that can't keep up or we've got a problem with the cables or the feed side not able to get enough in to keep the vehicle happy. Right. Then when it cooled back off, you right. come back down and make the connection. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, so, well, that's a place to start. That's anyways. a place to start. I, I just, you know, did the simple thing. Right. And well, before you know, I got... Too ambitious, you know, rambunctious. I yeah. didn't want to make sure there wasn't any, you know, kind of an override or something. In no, the no. Uh, you know, un- unless, hey, Dennis, you know, just for giggles, I- I've seen I've seen crazier things, but it's an older car. Unless somebody's put an alarm system in this, and I just want to throw this in the pot. I've seen this before. Yeah. Somebody will throw an alarm system into the car, and they'll trigger the alarm system off accessories. Uh, I was in a 66 Chevy pickup the other day. Didn't have a key. They had taken they had taken the key and glued a, a heater control knob to the back of it. I sat there looking at the dashboard for five minutes, going, "Yeah, I know there's a key here somewhere. It's got to be." I remember driving these as a kid. Um, so you know, if somebody put an alarm system in that, and you know, you have to turn the AC on in order for the car to start. You know, I just want to throw that out there. Probably not, but it's you know, you have to start to you know consider the ridiculous. Somebody once said yeah. to me, "When you take away the obvious." And, you know, or, or you take away the extreme, all that's left is the obvious, and you can start to deduct from there, and that's really what I'm just trying to get you to do. But go through a charging right. system test. Go through a charging system test, the battery, cables, connections, alternator. Make sure all that's in good working order. And as one last thought, when the vehicle is operating normally, turn the directionals on. How, do, how fast do they blink? When the vehicle, as you're driving, if there's a way at time to time, turn the directionals on. Do they seem like they're slowing down? Be mindful of where you turn the directionals on. You don't want to tell somebody you're making a turn when you're not. But it would be a good way to look at the charging system or the electrical system to see if, if something is malfunctioning. Uh, one other thing you might want to do, uh, depending on how deep into this you want to get before you turn it over to the mechanic, if the car's got a cigarette lighter, you can go out and purchase for $10, $15 from a multitude of places a cheap digital voltmeter, hook up a tap, tap it into the cigarette lighter and you'll be able to watch charging system voltage while you drive and you can watch it possibly fall off and catch it in the act. Dennis, let me know how you make out. I'm running any in the car, Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back, 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. Real quick, Volkswagen has joined the list of automakers recalling vehicles over airbags, something important we all need to be aware of, all you Volkswagen owners out there. Volkswagen news report came out this past week is recalling about 461,000-plus cars in the States and Canada to fix a fault that could prevent airbags from deploying. The world's biggest car maker said on Friday of last week that the recall affected VW Golf, Passat, Jetta, Models assembled between 2010 and 2014, and uh, something to be aware of. So just Volkswagen, everybody's in the news lately with airbag problems. I wanted to get that out there. I thought that was pretty gush darn important. Let's get back to the phones. Let's go and talk to Jim, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, 2010 Toyota Prius. Jim, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. How can I help? 
Hi, Ron. How are you? I'm looking to buy a Toyota Prius, a 2010, and uh, I know average mileage should be about 70,000, and it's got 170,000. Is that anything to worry about? Uh, the, I hadn't looked up the Carfax for me, and the Carfax says to add $2,000 $2, to the trading value, so it's been taken very good care of. Right. Uh, what, but, where does it fall in terms of dollars that they're asking versus what it says the car is worth? Are you saying that, that the car is priced $2,000 under what they're asking? No, uh, the Carfax says to add $2,000 to the trading value. Okay. Well, all right. So, but, you know, what are they asking for the car, Jim? Let's let's do let's do it. Eight thousand. Eight thousand. Okay. And you know, how much is a comparably equipped same age Prius with a hundred thousand miles on it going for? Uh probably probably about eleven or twelve. Okay. I'd probably spend the eleven or twelve. Because okay. to to buy something with less mileage, and here's why. Uh for yeah. example, this twenty ten with hundred and seventy on it. Has anybody right. done? Has anybody replaced the main battery yet? Not not the engine battery. Uh, the not battery. the main battery. The main battery is only warranted for a hundred thousand miles or eight years. I think it is. Right. That's correct. And is yeah. that is that the original one that's in there? Yes, as far as I know. Yeah. All right. So uh, they they all the work that they have done had done to the car. They've reported it to Carfax. Right. And uh, what sort apparently of they they've. Done? Uh, oh, they've had oil, uh, all kinds of oil changes. They've right. had the tires rotated. Uh, they've had uh, uh, regular maintenance done on it or whatever, and, and uh, that's why the Carfax says to add so much to the value of it, well, to I don't, trade-in value. You know, I, I don't, I've never let Carfax consumers or an information system dictate to me value of a car. It's always common sense, too. They're a guideline. Okay. You know, they're a guideline. But to sit there and uh-huh. say, yeah, it's worth two grand more, nah, I don't necessarily agree with yeah. that. Because the first, thing, right. first yeah. thing off the top of my head, if that's the original battery in there, uh, uh-huh. for conversation's sake, let's say the battery yeah. goes another 30,000 miles. So right. yeah. in, in, in a year, a year and a half, you've got to put three grand in it yeah. to replace that system battery. They're, ask, right. they're, ask, they're yeah. asking eight. Now you're into the car for yeah. 11. All, all right, of a sudden, yeah. that car with 100,000 miles on it that, you know, yeah. and, and less miles yeah. is less wear and tear. You know, this, right. would, this would be the same thing as buying a traditional gas-powered vehicle with 170,000 uh-huh. yeah. miles on it that had, yeah. that had oil changes, coolant services, all the fluids, the usual good stuff, tires, brakes, etc. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh-huh. I would always ask this question, if the trans failed tomorrow... Yeah, would right. You put, would you put a transmission in it, and how would you feel? And if it be, I'd be upset because I'd have to spend $3,000. Mm-hmm. My answer is still the same. Yeah. Go buy a car with right. less yeah. mileage and spend the more money now. It's what are you looking right. to deal with? Uh, you know, right. The car's approaching two hundred grand. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is it true that anything below two hundred is is uh, reasonable mileage for, for a five-year-old car? Today... You know, if it was well-maintained, uh, again, yeah. you know, when you look at what cars go for, that Prius new uh. is, is probably in the low teens, high thir- uh, low, low, high teens, low 30s. And, right. yeah. you know, when you look yeah. what a replacement vehicle is going to cost, I always also stop to consider how I'm going to use it. How are you going to use the car, Jim? Are you going to start driving cross-country, or are you going to stick around Cedar Rapids, Iowa? Uh, no, I it? drive in town most of the time. Okay, so, you know, I you're... I don't usually drive on the highway. Right, so you're you know you're you're not taking any great long trips with it, 
you know, you've right. got you, you've got somebody in town there that can work on a hybrid. I'm assuming. Uh, yes, my regular uh, mechanic won't work on them. Okay, so uh, they're not. Uh, they'll they'll work on anything but the transmission. Right. So who's going to work on it if there's a trans problem? I really uh, have no idea so far. I okay. don't think. I I, uh, I have another friend that has one, and he told me there's nothing to worry about according to the, the engine and the transmission. Right. Well, but, hey, you know, that's nice. Is he going to tell me that when something happens right. to it? You know, you're basically <laughs> buying a house with a copper roof on it, and now you've got to find somebody right. to fix it. Hopefully it never leaks. Right. So let me ask True. you this. What's right. all the fascination with a Prius? Not that it's a bad vehicle, but for, yeah. for what you're doing for well, somebody it's nice, around town. It's nice, to get 50, it's nice to get 50 miles a gallon in town. Okay. Have you noticed the price of gas lately? Uh, yeah, it's going up, isn't it? Well, it's going down. Well, in our part of the world, it's going down. Yeah, it's going okay, down. Okay, well, it what here it was uh, it was two eighteen a gallon. Okay, so here's, now it's two forty a gallon. Here's 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 what I want you to do before you make this decision: go find mm-hmm. a comparably similar vehicle, mileage, okay. condition, cost okay. to repair, okay. dollars, and 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 think about this: if you find something similar to that that gets 30, 35 miles to the gallon, and the Prius gets 52, mm-hmm. all right? Right, right. Think of mm-hmm. what the cost difference is going to be for the guy that doesn't take long trips, for the guy that spends a lot right. of his time running around in town, and right. the guy that yeah. now he doesn't have to worry about finding somebody to fix the copper roof on his house because it's nothing special, and he can maintain right, a relationship right, yeah. with his regular mechanic. You know, if, yeah. if, if you were a delivery service and mm-hmm. you really needed miles per gallon, but yeah. at this point, one of the things people don't stop to consider is the cost difference between conventional gas versus a, versus a hybrid, and with the price of gasoline okay. being what it is, how much of a saving yeah. is it really? If we're going to make this all about right. numbers, if this is really going to be yeah. about numbers, then let's make it about numbers. Right. Let's look at yeah. it from a practical right. point of view. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a reason that sometimes the numbers themselves just don't work. So I'll leave it to your homework, Jim. Do your math. And uh, look at it from from that perspective. One closing comment: Never look at an automobile from an emotional perspective. Not an everyday driver like this. Uh, try and be mathematical about it, and you'll come out with a winning combination. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'm Ron Annie in the car doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here with you at 855-560-9900. Let's get over to Stanton, Virginia. John, talk to him about his 94 Toyota pick-em-up truck. John, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. You're very welcome. What's going on here? Uh, that's, uh, it won't go into gear. Uh, I had I took it to the uh, dealer about a year ago, about 6,000 miles ago, and they replaced the master cylinder and the slave cylinder. And after that, I could get it in gear, but it still wasn't satisfied with it. So here a couple of weeks ago, got said it would not ship into gear again. Okay. Now, does does I, does does the pedal I does the pedal feel I normal, John? John, does the pedal feel no, the, normal? No, the pedal takes a hold by the inch off the floor. So it doesn't have it doesn't have full stroke on the pedal, is what you're saying. 
Right. Okay. When you lay down on a clutch, it takes a whole other inch off the floor. All right. Well, all right. Let me ask the question this way. If you push in on the clutch pedal, does it have full height and swing? Not talking about when does the clutch release or engage. Just does it feel like a yeah. normal clutch pedal? It does. Yeah. All right. It did, does. did this vehicle sit for any length of time? No. All right. It's just one day it woke up and it just didn't want to go into gear right. Yes. That's, okay. That's the way it worked. Okay. So, you know, if the system is bled, I'm going to assume the system's bled properly. You know, there's not much here. If someone were to watch the slave cylinder, does the slave, does the stroke of the slave pushing on the fork match the stroke of the pedal, for lack of a better way to put it? Uh, I don't know. I didn't look at that. Okay. Well, because think about how this works. This is all hydraulics, right? You push in on the clutch pedal, and the hydraulics... The hydraulic action out of the master has to displace fluid and push the slave, which is like a wheel cylinder. This is like a brake wheel cylinder, and move the clutch fork. Does the clutch fork move? Does the clutch fork move easily? Is the clutch fork, is the pivot ball that the clutch fork rides on, is that worn? Okay? You know, last, and I have seen this on vehicles if they sat for and sometimes it happens short period short length of time i don't think this is the case with you but i just want to fill your head with this thought is that i have seen where a clutch disc you ever see a clutch disc rust to the flywheel well i looked on the internet and it said it didn't mention that yeah clutch might be dragging right i you know what i've seen that more than a few times where the clutch disc itself physically rusts to the flywheel and it drags. Sometimes it's frozen that you push in on the fork, and it will disengage the plate, but the plate, the disc can't break loose from the flywheel, and it won't shift. If you put this car in first gear with the engine off and start it up with the clutch in, does the vehicle still move forward? It will move, but it acts uh, like there's something the matter with it. It, it uh, would rev up and lunge. Right, so so the clutch, with the clutch pedal depressed and the vehicle in first gear, if you crank it, the vehicle would actually move forward. The, the, the starter cranking the engine would drive the vehicle forward. Correct statement? No, if I push in on the clutch, it won't move. Okay, that's, my, well, that, that's my question, John. If you push in on the clutch and turn the key and the engine starts with the vehicle in first gear, will the vehicle move forward? Yes, just, if I can get it in gear. That isn't what I asked you. Okay, here, let's do this one more time. Push in on the clutch, all right? Push in on the pedal, put the vehicle in first gear, start it. Leave the clutch engaged, leave the clutch depressed. With the engine cranking, once it starts, does the vehicle move forward? If the vehicle moves forward, the clutch has not disengaged from the flywheel. And now we're back to the original part of the question. Is the fork damaged? Is the pivot that the fork rides on not allowing full travel? Is the release bearing damaged? Is there air in the system? Is there something limiting the travel of the slave? Not to be ruled out, I have seen worn clutch linkage bushings under the dash. I have seen cracks in the firewall, 
physically where the fl- the master cylinder flexes and the full stroke of the pedal is not taken up in the slave cylinder itself. But th- this is a pretty basic dumb animal here. This is we're just looking at brakes. That's all we're doing. It's all about hydraulics. Pushing on the pedal. Does the slave move one for one? Does the fork react and move? Does it move smoothly? Is it possible the collar or the input collar that the main shaft of the trans sits on is gnarled up? I don't care what Toyota did. Start to think about how the system works, and then let's talk about how you've diagnosed it, and let's break it down. And That's all I'm trying to get you to think about doing. So take a breath. Think about what I said. Call me back next week. Let me know what you do. We can talk about this again. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor back right after this. Get your kicks on Route 66. Welcome back. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. By the way, the phone number, 855-560-9900, is 24-7. That's the Car Doctor's number that if we're not here on the air, this radio show is live in most markets, 2 to 4 p.m. Saturday afternoon Eastern Time. You can call 855-560-9900, leave a message, and Fast Harry will call you back and get you in the queue. We can talk to you about your car problem up here on national radio. This article from our good friend Anthony out in Chicago, um, retired police officer Tony Emilio, uh, Ron, this article is from the Chicago Tribune. It's an alarming issue, like you say. Is there too much technology and we aren't using our brain? Maybe someone should invent the garage door opener that opens automatically when the carbon monoxide gets too high. That's actually not a bad idea, Anthony. In 2013, I purchased a 13 Toyota Camry for the wife. Plain Jane car, no sunroof, but I did not follow your advice in capital letters, he writes, and purchased an aftermarket remote starter. Well, after five events of the car starting on its own, the dealer refunded the entire cost of the starter. I think the dealer realized that the potential problem and envisioned a law, huge lawsuit. The rule is, listen to the car doctor. Anthony, I appreciate that. He goes on to close out. Thanks for your time. Myself and the old retired cops from our weekly breakfast club really enjoy your show. Thanks again for the T-shirt. Very nice to your friend and loyal listener, Tony Emilio, out in Chicago. Well, you know what? And, and listen, the car doctor's not always right. All I do is I just relay to you guys things that I've uh, I've picked up over time. And what Anthony's referring to, what Tony's referring to is, um, if you are going to use an aftermarket remote starter kit, if somebody's going to install it for you, get the instructions. Get the wiring diagram. Five years from now, when they no longer make that kit, and you've got to take it into your mechanic, and I've been on the I've been on this end of the problem way too many times, people bring me a car with a remote start issue, I've got no schematic to follow. I have to reinvent the wheel and spend time learning how the system works before I can even diagnose it, and then typically I, I have to find out that the component I need is no longer available and I've got way too much time in it. So it's easier for you and less expensive for you if I've got the diagram so that I know what I'm looking at and how I'm looking at it before I even get involved. Um, Interesting article, by the way, Anthony. I was reading here, Keyless Ignition Deaths, Part of Disturbing Trends. Um, It talks about American drivers generally had to do two things to get their car keys out of the ignition, put it in park, and turn off the engine, but new keyless ignitions are changing that habit. Now drivers can walk away with their key fobs and leave their motors running. So, um, yeah, it's an issue. People are doing that. And uh, some of these cars are so quiet that you can hardly hear them running, and it's going to become a greater issue with, uh, with more technology being added all the time. Hey, 
I'm Ron Anney and the Car Doctor reminding you once again, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. See ya.